Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week, we reflect more deeply on the Sabbath School Quarterly from March 14 to 20, titled, From North and South to Beautiful Land. Let's take a look now at the spiritual battle that Daniel faces in Daniel chapter 11. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at Southwestern Adventist University. We love learning and sharing God's Word, and together we have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into this study. Okay, lesson 12, only one more week uh, before uh, uh, we, we're on to the next lesson. But uh, This quarter's sure gone by quick, hasn't it? Really quickly. Uh, this one is entitled From North and South to Beautiful Land, as you heard in the introduction there. And the, the memory text this week says, and some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Daniel chapter 11, verse 35. I love this, uh, Buster, because right at the beginning of this lesson on one of the trickier chapters of the book of Daniel, where there's even some controversy, is a solid reminder that God is in, in charge. He's sovereign and in control, and uh, we can trust him to lead us through uh, both the past and historically and all the way up into our lives and into the future. Yeah, and, and once again, uh, just showing that he is historically accurate. Uh, he is accurate in his predictions. God is, uh, because he knows. Mm-hmm. I have a, a friend, uh, one of our, our students here is actually Father is learning about the Bible, and he's looking at Chinese history and comparing it with the Bible, mm. and he's becoming a believer because of the historicity of the Bible. And yeah. uh, hopefully, we fall in love with God all over again because of the historicity of the book of Daniel. You know, God puts Bible prophecy in there. It's not a coincidence. He wants to remind us and tell us, say, you know, you can look in Scripture and you can see through solid historical evidence that uh, the Bible is true. Okay, so then let's get into this. Let's do it. Uh, I want to look at uh, Daniel chapter 11, 1 through 4. Okay. It's talking about prophecies about Persia and Greece. And Daniel chapter 11, 1 through 4 says, Also in the first year of Darius, the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm the str- and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength and through the riches, he shall stir up against all the realm of Greece. And it continues on and talks about this this power, about this mighty king, as verse 3 says, rising up. And so it says, where do we see here, uh, what do we see here that reminds us of some of the previous prophecies we have seen in Daniel? Well, that's a great question, Buster, because it, you know, it's really clear that Chapter 11 doesn't happen out of nowhere. There's a context to it. And so we see that um, as this is happening, as part of uh, unfolding as Gabriel, the angel, is meeting with Daniel, and he is kind of further explaining what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, and and we see this, and uh, I love it that the book of Daniel doesn't contradict itself. Mm. It doesn't contradict the book of Revelation. It doesn't contradict the Bible. And it doesn't contradict history. It all works together in unison. And so we see here the, these powers, they're continuing on. So it's not like it switches it up. And it's talking here about some more powers. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, it's asking us there in Daniel 2 through 4, mm-hmm. comparing it with 8, 3 through 8, and 20 to 22. Mm-hmm. How do these texts help us to identify Alexander the Great here? Well, yeah, that's that's really great. Uh, great question because uh, – 
First, I think we have to back up just slightly because first it says there's three kings. Yes. And we got to know who those three kings are before we can ho- know who Alexander the Great is and his cambyses, uh, false Smyrtus, uh, and Darius. And all of those kings existed in, in history. Uh, and then we have a fourth king who's Xerxes, who's mentioned, of course, uh, our listeners will be familiar with him because he is the es- uh, men- mentioned in the book of Esther as Ahasuerus. Uh, and he's this wealthy, powerful king repelled by a smaller force of uh, soldiers, another force. And as soon as you read this description, historically, there is somebody that fits this description. And that is Alexander the Great, this mighty king who arises and becomes the absolute ruler of the ancient world. So there's a transition, as we remember, you know, with Nebuchadnezzar, as we looked in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Uh, that uh, the the success of uh, world empires, that here is um, uh, the changing of the guard. There's a new world empire. And, of course, everybody uh, that's taken a class in world history, uh, you know, Alexander the Great's one of the great wonder wonder boys of the ancient world. I mean, if you can imagine someone in their 20s basically conquering the whole world. And and I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. as we look back at Daniel chapter 8, we remember that we have this ram and we have this goat that are battling each other mm-hmm. and that ram that's representing Persia yeah. and then uh, eventually it's defeated by this goat of Greece, right? And so exactly. this once again, it mm-hmm. falls in line of understanding what's happening here. Yeah. So da- Daniel chapter 2, just to reiterate, Daniel chapter 7 and 8 yes. and now Daniel chapter 11, um, there's time that has elapsed. You know, Daniel's a, a very old man by this point. But yet we see there's a consistent story being told in Bible prophecy. And, of course, uh, that first major change is is unfolding right there. Yeah, it it is. Uh, And so I I think we kind of answered that question as well. (laughs) And and going and that's that's the beauty of history. When we go back and review history, Mm -hmm. answer some questions that we have in the present and also in the future. Correct? (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So now that we've solidified that this is the power of Alexander the Great rising as that mighty king, Mm -hmm. uh, it moves on to uh, Daniel chapter 11, verses 5 through 14. It's talking about these prophecies of Syria and Egypt. And it's asked this question, what's unfolding here? Yeah, you know, Buster, that's a great question because really um, after Alexander the Great, most people that know and have heard of him, you know that he he dies at the age of 32. He's not there anymore, and he's not really old enough to have a a significant heir, unfortunately. He's a a young guy, yeah, and uh, and so his empire is divided up by his four generals. And so what really takes place after this introduction to Daniel 11 is – this whole next section through verse 14 is unpacking for us uh, basically two sets of dynasties uh, between these two different generals. And so you start to see that there is a power dynamic between these four generals. Yeah, and, and you can see this directly in your Bible. So I don't know if you're driving, listening to this, but uh, Daniel eleven four talks about four winds and the scattering of the empire. Yep. And Daniel eight twenty two talks about the four kingdoms that arise out of the large horn of Greece, right? So once again... Consistency. Yeah, we're not making it this up, right? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You don't take our our word for it. It's the biblical evidence. It's solid, and here it is in history. Yes, it is. Uh, And so specifically uh, about these uh, powers that are rising up uh, out of them, it says, Mm -hmm. uh, it's talking about amongst the four generals that there's two of them in particular that managed to establish dynasties of their own that will fight for control of the land. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Well, if I can say their names. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) 
uh, Seleucus and uh, Ptolemy uh, in Egypt. So Seleucus being uh, up in Syria in the north, sometimes he's referred to as the king of the north, and Ptolemy in Egypt, uh, sometimes referred to as the king of the south. And that's that's these clear allusions to, again, these two uh, power dynamics that are taking place. And it's really setting the stage for the whole rest of the chapter. You know, it- and I want to thank uh, the authors and the author and the editors of the Sabbath School lesson because there's differing views on this. But this is the, 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 the view that the Adventist church has mostly embraced. Uh, we're not going to take time to, uh, to break down the other views. And we just want to say we think that the writers of this, of this lesson have done just a wonderful job. Really balanced. And uh, really, the, this is the traditional view of our church going back to the early Adventist pioneers. You look at Uriah Smith. Uh, and so this is, uh, uh, yeah, sometimes there can be a little bit of controversy and, and differences of opinion, and, and that's all right to have some differences as long as they're not divisive, you know. Uh, so like you said, we're acknowledging there are other perspectives, but this is sort of the, uh, has become uh, the, the default or established view. Um, it it's doesn't challenge, doesn't change any of our other major beliefs, but uh, it's also recognizing that there are some nuances out there. You know, uh, think about nuances. Uh, the lesson brings out a really good question from Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. And, oh, I love this text. Yeah, I'll go ahead and, and read it. That's mm-hmm. okay. And then ask a question here. It says, Rem- uh, remembering, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. Mm. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient t- uh, times things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Ask this question, how much basic Christian theology is found in these two verses, and what great hope can we take away from them? Well, I, you know, again, I, I think that's a great quest, question that the, the quarterly is asking here. Uh, and I think at its very core, just as we've been talking about all along, uh, God's in charge. Yes, and he is. God is the one through Scripture, through his prophets, through Bible prophecy. It's not something to be scared of or intimidated by, but God is trying to give us some kind of uh, assurance to remind us, hey, I love you, I care about you, and, and you can trust me. Yeah, this is, this is the line that God throws out to you saying, if I, the God uh, of, of heaven and earth, know the future, will you not trust me with your present? You exactly. Know? So I, I think it's beautiful, and I love it. And it actually leads us, once again, into a little bit of scary time of, of Earth's history, <laughs> right? It does. Uh, Daniel 11, uh, 16 through 28. And it's talking about um, uh, these two things. It says, though the text is difficult, what images can you find that appear elsewhere in the book of Daniel? Yeah. And again, I, I want to reiterate how I really appreciate how carefully you know the sabbath school authors and editors have have put this together uh because again daniel 11 they got the king of the north the king of the south but there are these very clear allusions biblical allusions that refer to some of these other things the one that i think is the most obvious is referenced in verse 16 and it talks about the glorious land what is this glorious land you know we're we're talking about jerusalem of course yeah and and as we look at it uh We, we see everything coming together uh, where ancient Israel was, the place where God uh, made his covenant, where he wanted to set up his headquarters, where there was supposed to be an, uh, a centripetal force that showed the world who he was. They're supposed to beam out and like a vacuum suck the rest of the world into them to see and worship this wonderful God they, they yeah. worshiped. 
You know, the heavenly Jerusalem, I, I can't help but think of, you know, as Adventists, we often uh, will refer to Ellen White and her first vision and many of her other later visions talk about that glorious land. That's the kind of this allusion to this biblical passage here, that glorious land being the heavenly new Jerusalem when we're going to be reunited together forever. And so these, again, clear references uh, in this passage to um, where we're headed. This, this is what gives us direction, where we're headed to. I, I, the other allusion that this reminds me of is Pilgrim's Progress, the, mm. the old classic from John Bunyan, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and now there's a new uh, version of it. I don't know if you saw that came out this last year. That's sort not. of an animated one uh, uh, that's okay. just come out. It's it's really fun. My kids like it. And uh, But just that clear story of Christian who goes from this world down here that's dark below and, and finds this burden is released when he sees the cross and heads up to that heavenly Jerusalem. So it's that image of that glorious land, that heavenly Jerusalem, that uh, beautiful reminder uh, in this passage so that we kind of can tease out a little bit carefully uh, what's going on here. You know, uh, it talks about a little bit of turmoil as well in this uh, in this text. Mm-hmm. I'm specifically talking about, uh, so you read there in, in 20, uh, it's talking about according to the prophecy, the ruler will be succeeded by a vile person. And, and history is showing that Augustus was succeeded by Tiberius, uh, but we also see that Jesus was actually going through through this uh, turbulent time as yeah. well, right? Yeah. And it reminds me of Hebrews 4 that tells us that we have a great high priest who was in all ways tempted as we were, yet without sin, right? So exactly. he's been through it. He knows. Uh, it's not just like he's watching us go through it. He is the incarnate uh, God who actually went through it with us. And in the midst of him coming to this earth, Satan was, uh, you know, that's obviously going to make him angry. And so he's out to destroy Jesus and the plan of redemption. So we here see this kind of describe for us what's going to take place. Uh, and of course, we had the we talked the other day, uh, a lesson or two back about the seventy weeks and about Jesus is coming. So Bible prophecy was showing the coming of Jesus, and it's showing the second coming of Jesus. Mm. These clear consistencies. Ah, beautiful, 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 and I, I love it. I love the the Word of God and how it. Reveals things to us, but also gives us hope for the future at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, since we're talking about references in uh, this passage, Daniel 11, uh, since we're talking about Jesus, verse 25 talks about the Messiah, the Prince, uh, which is, again, uh, a clear uh, reference to the crucifixion of Christ, that he is going to be broken and so here we have, again, the plan of redemption. Some people say, oh, Bible prophecy, it's all about beasts and these scary kinds of symbols. But uh, looking at the centrality, the main point of the message of Bible prophecy is the plan of redemption. This reminder, God loves you. I'm here. I'm in charge. And I have a plan of salvation and in, that he invites us. Uh, this Prince of the Covenant, again, another reference to Jesus Christ himself who through the power of history, through the flow of history, is again reminding us that I have a plan of redemption and I want to save you. You know, if, if you don't see that there, there in Daniel eleven twenty two, I challenge you this week, go back to, to Psalm 22, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and read uh, uh, it, the prophecies foretold about what the Savior was going to do for us. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it actually came, came true mm-hmm. to a T is just, once again, shows God's love for us. Well, the last 10 verses take us to the trickiest part of the passage, uh, verses 29 to, to 39. And, and Buster, it's talking about, or asks the question, what is the power that arises after pagan Rome? 
Oh, you know, I, I was looking at this, and uh, you know, Campbell and I feel very confident uh, in in God revealing things in His Word. But we had a special moment today where we prayed and said, "God, we don't want to trip up anyone here yeah. today. No, we don't. Uh, we want to make sure that." This is pointed towards you, God, Mm -hmm. and that you're drawing everyone, including us, towards you. And so as we're looking at this, we're saying, God, uh, just just be with us. And I I truly, even right now as we're recording, I know Mm -hmm. he's with us. And so it's talking about this referring to this new power Mm -hmm. and the continuation uh, of of pagan Rome. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about these characteristics that are coming out and and the the predecessor as well. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as I was looking at this, I was talking about it and... And as we're looking there, we see this thing coming up again, uh, these clues that are mm-hmm. telling us who this is. Yeah. Talking about Daniel 11, once again, the daily sacrifices, mm-hmm. right? And we, yeah. we noticed that it, that earlier before, right? We did. Well, what are some more clues that tell us what this is? Well, you know, first of all, verse 29, right at the beginning of these last 10 verses, this is where it kind of gets a little bit tricky here in this passage and where there's a little bit of controversy over interpretation uh, but but right here, it's talking clearly that this is a new power system that is a religious power. And in light of that, and in light of uh, the other aspects of Bible prophecy, um, there are these five characteristics. One is the daily sacrifice that uh, seeks to defile. Um, the, the, another one that's a, a verse 30 is that the it will act in rage against the Holy Covenant. And Uh-oh. Again, uh, this should not be a surprise because um, there's only two forces at work here. There's Christ, there's Satan, there's good, there's evil. And here we have uh, described if there's a new power system, if it's not of God, then it's going to be somebody that is trying to take uh, God's uh, system out. And, And that is aptly described here in rage against the Holy Covenant. Um, and as I read that 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 reference, that biblical description in rage, what comes to my mind is, or you know, I'm driving down the road, and maybe you've experienced road rage before, <laughs> <laughs> but it happened not too long ago. Somebody cut me off, and I was like, "Wait a minute, uh, you're cutting me off," and then you're, you're the one me, that's right? upset, yeah, <laughs> and and really in your face and really angry and that sort of thing. So when I think of enrage, it's someone, it's even more than just road rage. This is a spiritual mm-hmm. battle that's taking place, a spiritual rage against God and God's kingdom. You know, uh, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because we see here that this is spiritual warfare. It's mm-hmm. also a religious entity that's doing this. Right. Uh, I'll take over here with a, a third aspect, mm-hmm. which is a third, uh, as a consequence, is attack on the sanctuary. This power places the abomination of desolation. Right. Uh, and not only that, but this power also persecutes God's people. That's the, that's the fourth thing. Mm-hmm. And the fifth is this this king will exalt and magnify himself above every god yeah. and shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods yeah right and, and so as we're hearing that and we're looking at it we see the natural progression and history tells us this uh but also the word of god shares it was this 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 is papal rome coming yeah. out of pagan rome yeah so again it only makes sense really because of all these different bible prophecies there has to be some consistency here and very clearly, the papacy through the mid- Middle Ages. And by the way, this is not a unique interpretation to Adventists. No. Uh, we go all the way back to Martin Luther, who clearly took these same verses and saw that same application of 
of basically papal Rome during the Middle Ages that seeks to take down God's word and his authority. Uh, and, and so, again, a consistency. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't have time to unpack all these. Mm-hmm. But once again, I challenge you to look back through history and you cannot tell me that papal Rome doesn't fit these. Yeah. You know? it's, a, it's a beautiful and apt description. And once again, throughout the the basic disclaimer, this is not attacking the people who follow that, uh, who who are in there. This is attacking the the spiritual power, the religious power that was behind there. And history tells us this was bad news. Yeah, it's a system. It's a system, not the individual people. I know many great uh, Catholics uh, have some friends even, uh, uh, one Catholic priest in particular. Uh, It's not to hold anything against an individual person. It's a system historically that stands in opposition, and that's what we're really after here. Uh, Well, I guess we're kind of wrapping up towards the end of the week on Thursday, uh, and this is the trickiest part of the chapter now, verses 40 to 45. What's going on? Uh, You know, it's talking about the king of the north and the king of the south. Mm -hmm. There's an attack one upon the other, Mm -hmm. and it's asking this question, saying, what it is asking, what's happening here? You know, yeah. what, what is this battle? Well, uh, again, there's a reference that's a key clue here, and that's this word or phrase, time of the end. So we've been talking about historically all these different things, but now we see that this is something that's going to take place later on, uh, right towards the end of time. And again, looking at our Bible prophecies that the time of the end at the end of the 1,260 years of or days or years of of papal uh, oppression that we've already looked at in previous episodes is coming to an end in 1798. That would lead us to, for consistency, these same verses, 40 to 45, that whatever is going to take place, this king of the north, king of the south, must take place in context with this other Bible prophecy. Ah, and you know, it's, it ties in perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we know, in 1798, when uh, General Berthier was actually captured the, the Pope, uh, mm-hmm. we see that. And so what, what, what role does France have to play in this? That's a great question, because basically what's happening in the 1790s, right before this Bible prophecy takes ah. place, is the French... Revolution. Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> the heads of the king and the, you know, in a way, it, they set themselves up living in, in uh, extravagance. If anyone's been over to Paris and you've seen some of the palaces oh, that are yes. there, uh, and really to the oppression of the common person, that created a bubble, a, a pressure vacuum that when it actually went off uh, and the people rose up against the corruption and extravagance uh, and Part of that was a reaction towards the papacy and seeing the religious leaders. So there's sort of a rise of this new way of thinking, uh, which is sometimes referred to as atheism, but this new light, the enlightenment, some people call it. Yes. Uh, And so here is uh, this king of the south attacking the king of the north, referring to the French Revolution, which seeks to undermine uh, the papacy. The rule of the papacy is coming to an end. Yeah. And we see that, and once again, so thankful for history to back up what we're saying, but also thankful to the Bible that told us it was coming first. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, there's some good news here, because this is sort of an ongoing, because, you know, Bible prophecy is not over, because Jesus hasn't come. (laughs) So this is is playing forth uh, to the very end of time, the the king of the south, the king of the north, the spiritual warfare that, uh, that obviously here is clearly identified with the French Revolution, and then uh, the king of the north attacking the 
South, which is talking about the uh, overcoming the forces of atheism. So you have this, this battle that takes place. But at the end of it, here is a clear reference that the king of the north prepares to attack the holy mountain again, which we've already talked about that. Yeah, we, we talked about it. Uh, Revelation gets into this as well. Uh, and so we see this king of the north and the king of the south, this battle continuing to happen, this theme continuing to happen. But also, I want to put in there, 41, talks about Edom, yes. uh, Moab, and, yeah. uh, and Ammon. Uh, uh, and we're talking about God's people that come out. Uh, I, I think of uh, uh, Revelation 18.4, come out of her, my people, right? Yes. Yeah. There's sheep that are not yet of this fold who are going to join God in his cause, and yet these kings will continue to attack. Well, that's why God calls a faithful people, you know, don't have time to get a lot into it, but Revelation 14 and so on about this description yes. of of uh, a people at the very end of time, this three angels messages, sometimes we call it, that are warning the world. Uh, and basically at the very heart of the three angels messages is a, a reminder of the character of God, who God really is. And, and once people see that, uh, even though they, they've had their eyes glazed over and didn't realize it, they are there. And that's, that's the work of God's people at the end of time is to invite people to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. Ah, I absolutely love it. And well, thank you, Campbell. I, you know, we were, we were a little bit worried, but I think this went exceptionally well. Well, I was a little nervous myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing when you put things in God's hands, how he works it out. He does. And God's word is sure. And that's the beauty of it. I don't necessarily know every little detail, but that's why we can dig deeper in God's word, discovering new insights all the time. Amen. Well, well I guess this is uh, Swoops and Soups signing out. Signing out next week. As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. By the way, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has for over 125 years provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. We love teaching with personable colleagues, offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swahu.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at sabbathschoolrescue.org.